A few years back, my friend Justin Warner from Food Network moved out to South Dakota. He opened a ramen joint, and he is always posting pictures of all the great food he's not only cooking, but eating all over South Dakota. He's always telling me to come visit. And you know, one of the best ways to experience a new place is to eat your way through it. But it's equally important to live your way through it, too. And when you summer in South Dakota, you can fill up on all the lake days, hikes, rides, and small-town strolls that'll leave you with a regained sense of wonder and a hunger to do it all over again. See why there's so much South Dakota, so little time at Travel South Dakota. The family has a lot of ideas for what the next project should be. Janie? Soda that's not carbonated. (laughs) I I don't like carbonation, but I do like the taste of Coca-Cola. It's like a cola syrup drink. I think that exists. It's called cola syrup. (laughs) (laughs) How about potato chips where every... You know how like the really good potato chips are the ones that are folded? They're all folded. I've actually had that thought. Ice cream flavored gum. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's interesting. Right. Becky? Oh. Doggy cake. Cake that's dog friendly. All right. We'll yeah. keep brainstorming. <laughs> this is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies. It's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. Welcome to an all-new update on Mission Impossible, my quest to invent a new pasta shape, actually get it made, and actually sell it. Now, if you haven't heard the original series, please go back and listen to all five episodes from the beginning in order. Trust me, you're going to want to hear the whole thing before you hear this new update. All right, let's do it. We'll pick up where we left off. March 18th, the last Mission Impossible episode drops. At the end, I announce that my Cascatelli pasta is on sale to Sporkful listeners. It won't go on sale to the general public till the next day, but we want to be sure that you, our most loyal listeners, have the first crack at the pasta. Less than two hours after the episode goes live. I just got a call from my friend Stacy. She said it's sold out. The shape what? has only been on sale for two hours. No. But check the website. Maybe a bit like here. Pre, pre or wait. So if it says pre or wait, it says it says it's sold out. Oh my out. god! Oh my god! It's seven. Was this your parents? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they bought some. Give me a little credit. <laughs> Full disclosure: my parents did buy twenty boxes, but still, in under two hours, we've sold thirty-seven hundred boxes of Cascatelli. I call Scott Ketchum from Sfolini. Is that the sound of sales, Scott? Yes, it is. So every time your phone dings, that means someone bought the pasta? That's right. <laughs> is your phone still beeping? It is, It's but they're actually coming in so quickly that uh, there's stagger between them because I'm getting emails in between, and then they get the beeps, and then the emails. And-, <laughs> and so can we say, is it official, Scott? Are we making more? Oh, yeah, where it's official, we're making more. We just got to get everything back in stock and... And, uh, and then figure out if we need to make more after that, too, which it looks like we will. <laughs> wow. So we're not going to. So I'm going to be able to keep eating Cascatelli for a while. Well, if you can get your hands on it. <laughs> As you may recall, our first batch was even smaller than we planned because we couldn't get enough boxes. Because of COVID, there are major paper shortages. Everyone's shipping so much. That's the main limiting factor on how quickly we can make more Cascatelli. Scott's already ordered more boxes, but it'll be a month before they arrive. And the way things are going, those aren't going to last us long. 
We can switch over to selling five-pound bulk bags, the equivalent of five boxes of pasta, but that's not a good long-term solution. A couple hours later, after the kids are asleep, I fill Janie in. I just think we're back on the roller coaster. What? Like what? We're like, yes, it's amazing. It's sold out. Then we're like, oh my God, it's selling so quickly. There's no boxes. What are we going to do? I, I, it so quickly went from like celebration to a new form of panic. Yeah, we need to get new boxes. Ask them to give me the name of the box company. Let me talk to them. Oh, boy. <laughs> Let's see what I could do. I love over, over the course of this journey, you went from skeptic to believer to let me call the box company for you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I told you you should have charged five ninety nine. <laughs> I do not get much sleep that night. Lots of Cascatelli adrenaline. In the morning, we start to get some media coverage. The website Pure Wow calls Cascatelli kind of genius. Food and Wine calls it perfect for sauce. I'm already feeling pretty giddy about all this. Then... <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't stop laughing. <laughs> So I just got a message from Emma on Slack that I got a request to be on Access Hollywood. (laughs) You've got to be kidding me. Oh, my God. This, this is crazy. (laughs) Maybe this will all just be remembered as the time I was on Access Hollywood. (laughs) Once I come down from my Access Hollywood high, I call Steve Gonzalez, the other co-founder of Sfolini, to see how he's doing. Uh, so, so far, it's a success, so it's just a matter of keeping it going. Uh, the, the, the shape has, uh, you know, come to fruition and is doing exceeding expectations. That's, uh, that's Steve Gonzalez getting very excited for you folks. <laughs> <laughs> By midday, less than 24 hours into this, we've sold nearly 15,000 pounds of pasta, which is awesome, but also terrifying. Like, it means we've blown through the next box order and it could be months before more paper's available for more boxes. Plus, how the hell are we gonna make this much pasta? Here's Scott again. Uh, We met as a team this morning. The main thing I wanted to go over was making sure we could keep up production and that we were able to get the flour because we normally don't stock the non-organic in any large quantities. So we do have a truckload coming, and we're working it into the production schedule in the next couple weeks. By Monday, three days after the pasta officially goes on sale, Svolini has adjusted their schedule to add more Cascatelli production days. They've got more flour on the way, but the boxes are a bigger problem. We may not be able to get more till July. So we decide to switch to a different box, one made with paper that's a little easier to come by. Svolini orders, wait for it, 100,000 of these new boxes. They're scheduled to arrive in May. We keep taking orders on the website and tell folks they'll have their pasta in 10 to 12 weeks. From there, it just keeps going. Uh, Apparently there's a new pasta that has come out. So like, bye-bye spaghetti. That, that shit. Is. Are there holes that looks in like it? a seahorse. Is that a seahorse? It's called Costa Kelly. Costa Don Pashman. 
cioè eh, Daniele Pashmina, credo, che è un giornalista a quanto pare. My social media is blowing up. I'm getting emails from stores and suppliers who want to know how they can get the shape. I get a call from our old friend Chris Maldari, the dye maker on Staten Island, that he heard through the grapevine that someone in Italy was trying to get a dye made to copy my shape. Chris tells them I have a patent pending and warns them to back off. A couple weeks into all this madness, I sit down with Janie on the couch. Like, what would you say the last few weeks have been like for you? I mean, definitely much bigger than I expected. I'm actually having trouble remembering what I expected. <laughs> I feel like, you know, there's the first few days after it came out, the sales were crazy. There was tons of media and like, it was like, wow, this is so exciting. It's amazing. And we kept checking our phones constantly. Like, and then I got into this thing like four or five days in where every day I wake up and I think to myself, I think things are going to start to calm down a little now. And then like by dinner time, I'm hyperventilating. <laughs> yeah. Like today, like yesterday, There was a write-up in the New York Times and a segment with me on Access Hollywood ran, which is a hysterical pairing to me. And then today I go, I run down the street to get, to get some beer and I come home and you came running out of the house. SJP posted about it on Instagram. So that's huge. And I mean, it's exciting, obviously, because I love Sarah Jessica Parker, but even just ev- everyone posting about it, you know, like people all over the country who are sharing... Yeah, that's been something that's been like kind of made me emotional like a couple weeks in when people started getting the pasta and cooking it. It's like every night I sit down, I look at the Instagram stories and it's like I'm I'm like at dinner with people all over the country and all over the world. Yeah. Like it's like I've been invited into their homes and like that I didn't expect for that to feel like such a strong connection. What absolutely never crossed my mind, this might be the thing that I'm known for. Like this may be my obituary. <laughs> like, it may say, Dan Pashman, inventor of Cascatelli. Right. That's the part that I didn't expect. What I wasn't expecting is like, there's a business side to it and there's calls coming in, you know, that are interested in making this bigger, you know, so it's like, we were excited about the pasta, but the whole business aspect seems very overwhelming and something that neither of us have experience with. Janie's right. I have experience running a podcast business, but I don't know the first thing about running a food business. Coming up, I start trying to figure out what a long-term Cascatelli business could look like. And I answer some of your questions. Stick around. Ooh, advertisements. Yummy. In the Pashman household, we're already big fans of Tillamook shredded cheese. In fact, I used it in developing many recipes in my cookbook. And now I'm getting into their ice cream. Tillamook ice cream is made with more cream, so you get smooth and dreamy scoops each time. You may not realize it, but this is why a lot of the store-bought ice cream doesn't taste the same as what you get in, in an ice cream parlor. But with Tillamook, they don't skimp on the cream. These people know dairy, okay? 
Tillamook makes a great, rich vanilla ice cream with real crushed vanilla bean seeds. They have an Oregon strawberry, sweet strawberry ice cream with ripe Oregon strawberry pieces. The one that I really love is the mudslide flavor, a smooth chocolate ice cream with a ribbon of rich fudge and chocolatey chips. You want to move the spoon around to get fudgy and chocolatey chips and the ice cream all in the same bite each time, and it's just so, so nice. And like I said, I just trust Tillamook when it comes to dairy. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. That's T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn best buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast, they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyards has so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. they got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing, with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. Are you ready for warmer weather? I know I am. But is your wardrobe ready? I just stocked up on spring and summer clothing at Quince. And let me tell you something. I'm feeling great about everything I got. I got a couple of short sleeve button down shirts, polo shirt, some shorts. Everything feels great. It's super high quality. And I can't believe how much stuff I got at a reasonable price. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Whatever you need for the spring and summer, Quince has your back. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash sporkful for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sporkful to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash sporkful. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know that peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's sticks? They're wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate. I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy. And the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. Make sure you check out last week's show. I talk with musician Michelle Zahner, who performs under the name Japanese Breakfast. She just published a memoir about losing her mother to cancer and learning to cook Korean food as a way to heal. Michelle found that visiting the Korean grocery store H-Mart was especially therapeutic. I would go to H-Mart and I'd be like, oh my God, they have red bean. And then I'd have this memory of red bean. This process kind of started opening up a lot of memories of my mom that had been kind of like buried by this trauma. 
That episode is called How Crying in H Mart Helped Michelle Zahner Grieve Her Mother. And let's do it right now where you got this one. Thanks. Okay, back to the show. And just a heads up that there is one bit of profanity coming up a little later. In the weeks after the pasta launched, we got a lot of questions from you. So I asked senior producer Emma Morgenstern to put them all together and throw them at me. Hey, Emma. Hey, Dan. All right, I'm ready. Great. Here's our first question. Hi, this is Anant calling from Northern Virginia outside of Washington, D.C. So now that you've sold so much pasta, what do the economics look like? How much profit are you making now on the various packaging sizes of the pasta? I'm not exactly sure how much is being made per box. Like, you know, we're selling four packs. Some people are using the coupon codes. The shipping costs vary. It's hard to say to the penny exactly what's happening right now. I haven't asked Scott to spend a whole lot of time crunching numbers because I want him to focus on making more pasta. So, (laughs) (laughs) but I can tell you that I've gotten back my initial investment. Kids' college funds looking better. Um, Still don't have enough for even one full year of tuition in 2029, but things are looking up. And here's our next question. Hi, I'm Christina from Denver, Colorado. I'd like to know, what do Italians think of your pasta innovation? Uh, Well, um, they seem to be skeptical, (laughs) (laughs) but but not as universally opposed as I expected. There has been some sort of a a, um, wary interest for sure. But we have gotten some blowback on the name. I said in the original episode, I know it's supposed to be Cascatelle with an E. We're taking poetic license, but that was not enough for some people, especially once I went on NPR. We got one angry NPR listener who wrote, who was very upset, wrote in that we had gotten the grammar wrong. And Emma, I know you wrote back. And then he wrote back again and said, my immediate reaction is that you are bowing to ignorance instead of fighting it, which is depressingly common. I suppose your first concern is money, not truth and beauty. Oh, man. You know, Dan, I'm a bit of a grammar nerd myself, so I had some mixed feelings about misspelling the word initially, but reading the reactions from people like this has really made it all worth it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And here's our next question, which is actually several different listeners asking essentially the same question. My name is Joanna, and I live in Belgium. Any prospects on internationalization of Cascatelli? Hi, it's Lucinda calling from Brisbane, Australia. Shipping to Australia is currently about $130. Just wondering what you guys are planning for international fans. Very keen to sink these Aussie teeth into your pasta. Hi, Dan. I'm Maddie from France. When will it be available in France? Because I would really, really love to taste them for real. I have heard from so many of you, as has Folini. Look, nobody wants you to be able to experience this pasta at a reasonable price more than I do. I've talked with Folini about this, and they told me a couple of things. First, four boxes of pasta, which is four pounds of pasta, is actually big and heavy. It's bigger and heavier than a lot of people realize. So it's not a small thing to ship. Folini does not make any money on international shipping. They are either charging you what they pay or less than what they pay, depending on the situation. Scott at Folini has been working very hard on trying to find some solution to this. They're going to be implementing some new U.S. Postal Service options that should bring down prices for Alaska, Hawaii, U.S. Armed Forces, and Puerto Rico. But Scott's basic message is, look, 
the various solutions they're working on will bring down the cost a little, but not a lot. So you have a couple of options. You could pool your resources with some friends, buy enough boxes that the shipping's not expensive, or hopefully, as you suggest, I could work with a company in Europe and in Australia and anywhere else in the world. If you're one of those people who works for one of those companies, call me. Uh, here's our next question. Hey, Dan, it's Bob from Michigan. Will there be a gluten-free cascatelli? This is one of the most common questions that we've gotten from listeners. And I myself am gluten-free. I have celiac disease, so I am very sympathetic to this question. So what can you tell listeners, Dan? Listeners, by which you mean you, Emma. <laughs> what can you tell me, Dan? Please, I've never tried cascatelli. I know. Can you believe it? Emma's been working so hard on this series for so long. It's not fair. Um <laughs> Yes, I want to make a gluten-free cascatelli. I expect that there will be a gluten-free cascatelli. Um, first, I have to figure out what the heck I'm doing with the conventional one. I can only do one thing at a time, but 100%, I want to make that happen. Cool. I'm sort of satisfied with that answer. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I will say, this reminds me of something that my mother-in-law always says. So uh, my mother-in-law Esther Ansarut, she has a gluten-free food business called Gluten-Free SY. Which she started when you entered the family. Correct. She always says to me that if you're a restaurant and you offer a gluten-free option, you're not just getting the business of the gluten-free person. You're getting the business of the whole family or the whole party with the gluten-free person in it. I think that I think that's a very good point. It does uh, upset me to think of like a family sitting down to like try cascatelli for the first time and there being one person at the table who doesn't get to have any. That's yeah. not fair. I don't want that. So, um, so yes, I want to make it happen for everyone to be able to try cascatelli. I am more satisfied with that answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, here's our final question. Hi, Dan Pashman. My name is Sueta calling from Saratoga, California. My question for you is, do you have any plans to bring your pasta to in-person stores or farmer's markets? I'd love to see it there. Well, Sueta, I mean, yes, the short answer is I would love to see Cascatelli in stores all over the place. But the tougher question, though, is what's the best way to make that happen? In the weeks after Cascatelli goes on sale, I spend a lot of time thinking about the kinds of questions you're asking, which can basically be summed up as, what's next for Cascatelli? It's clear this pasta is going to be around for a while. I got to figure out what to do with it. Svolini has been great, and I'd really like to keep working with them. But what if I start getting orders for this pasta that are just bigger than they can handle? So I'm talking to anyone in the food business who'll talk to me. I'm asking for advice, and I'm trying to learn enough to be able to make good decisions about what I should do. And in all those conversations, one person emerges as a key figure. Chris Maldari. We're on the phone almost every day. He completes his transformation from doubter to tough love father figure to my pasta business spiritual advisor. Plot twist. I asked Chris to lay out my options for me. A full-blown option is you make this shape that's taken off the first of your future. And you have hopes of creating a bunch of new pasta shapes and, and, and it's a new pasta company. And you're done with podcasts and, and you're moving forward that way. That's one route. In this scenario, I launched my own food company, Sporkful Brand Pasta. I'm in charge of everything, manufacturing the pasta, selling it, building the whole brand. This would mean getting investors and making the new food brand my focus. It might even mean stepping back from this podcast, which would be a very difficult decision. 
Now, the idea of spending my life inventing foods sounds amazing. I feel like that might be the role I was born to play. And if those other foods are hits, this is the scenario where I end up selling the company for some obscene amount of money, then pivot to inventing foods in my 5,000-square-foot tiki bar on the beach. Or maybe my other ideas fail, investors get restless, and I'm left with bupkis. I don't have any experience starting a food brand, but I know someone who does. I call up Cara Nicoletti, the founder and CEO of Seymour Meats and Veggies. We had her on here last summer talking about her blended meat and veggie sausages. For our call, she brings along her co-founder and COO, Ariel Hopman. Here are Ariel and Cara. Building a brand, you know, building a, a sporkful empire, you know, there's a lot to be considered. I mean, the idea of launching a food brand sounds very daunting. It's really tiring. <laughs> It's fun, Dan. It's It's fun. It is so, it is honestly so fun. But I have to tell you, I had no idea the minutia. Just like, I can't even tell you the number of incredibly boring things that we have to deal with in a day to make this really interesting product, like dealing with the people that make the plastic packaging fit the size of the sausage. And I had no idea. I was like, I want to make these sausages and like sell them all over the place. I had no frigging clue how much boring stuff goes into it. <laughs> <laughs> I've already gotten a tiny taste of what Kara's talking about. One thing I've learned in some of my conversations is that the size of your box of pasta is a really big deal. Different pasta shapes come in different size boxes because some shapes are bulkier than others. Can you fit 20 boxes of your shape in a case or 24? The difference determines how many total boxes you can fit in a truck. So if a big store orders 100,000 boxes of pasta, that might take one truck or two trucks, which affects my cost. And would I be responsible for trucking the pasta to a single location? Or would I have to deliver it to multiple distribution centers across the country? The locations of those distribution centers and their distance from my factory will also affect my cost. And I am terrified about the possibility that figuring all of that out will require spreadsheets. So I hear what Kara is saying. Launching my own food brand would be a lot. Chris agrees. I would probably find out where you live and come and, f- and get you and, and put you in a room for a couple of days until I talked you out of it. <laughs> okay, right. Because, because it's not something that, that I would want you to do. That's an enormous investment. It's a risky investment. And it takes you away from doing your podcast. Not to mention the whole building a brand aspect. It's notoriously difficult to get new products on grocery store shelves. Sure, there are some food brands that start online and work their way into stores, but that's a years-long struggle. And once they're in stores, they don't sell, they're out. So that's option one, sporkful brand pasta. The next option, I could just license the shape to existing companies and be done with it. I'd have nothing to do with the manufacturing. It would be up to whoever licenses it to make it and sell it. I could keep licensing the shape to Sfolini, and their version could still have the Sporkful name and logo on the box. And I could license it to other pasta makers and earn royalties from all of them, even if it doesn't say Sporkful on the box. They could each make their version of Cascatelli. This would be much less potential money for me, but also much less work and less stress. Then I can just go about my merry life as a podcaster with this extra income on the side. Ariel and Cara like this option. Licensing, it's just a matter of providing, you know, that intellectual property, you know, that you've created. And then there's a potential for it to grow so much that even if you're taking less on a licensing agreement, you're doing so many more deals that it is really lucrative. But when I present this idea to Chris, he has concerns. Once you start having multiple manufacturers making that, you lose all control of 
of the quality of the product. Right. So your pasta will be out there and it may look 10 different ways by 10 different companies that are making it. Back before Cascatelli launched, I thought that'd be fine. There are different rigatonis out there, different fettuccinis. People buy the one they like. But I'm realizing that Cascatelli is my baby. And people associate it with me. I made a lot of promises about how good it is. Sure, I can put certain guidelines in when I license it, but how do I make sure everyone's following those? What am I going to do? Hire a team of Cascatelli inspectors with badges and white gloves to do surprise inspections? If I start letting places all over the country make my pasta and they don't do it right, people are going to say, this guy Pashman's a jerk. His pasta stinks. I want every person who eats Cascatelli to have the best possible experience. So the licensing option might force me to give up too much control. Ariel presents a third option. Do you want to consider perhaps private labeling or branching out to other retailers? You know how grocery store chains have their own generic brands of certain items? Those are private labels. You go into Stop and Shop or any other brand and you pick up their pasta, you're not going to see who manufactured that pasta on that box anywhere. It's going to say Stop and Shop, you know, brand uh, rotini or spaghetti. Most stores that have their own brand of pasta aren't actually manufacturing that pasta themselves. They buy it from someone who's already making it and put their own logo on the box. Cara and Ariel had this opportunity when they were building Seymour Sausages. A big store came to them and offered to private label it. Cara turned them down. It was really difficult for me to say no, um, but I think I really did want this company to be sort of a family legacy and something that was attached to me me and my family and our name. And so I I couldn't quite let go of that. But I think in your case, you have an interesting opportunity. It is so tied to you, but it's also something like if you're willing to let go of it, it could go crazy. Private label is a middle ground. It means the pasta won't have any sporkful branding on it. In Kara's case, she wanted to build her brand, so that was a deal breaker for her. But in my case, it could be a benefit. I wouldn't have to spend time and money building sporkful brand pasta since the store will use its own branding. And I wouldn't have to worry about getting it on shelves because the supermarkets I'm selling to will make space for their cascatelli. Unlike with licensing, I'd still be responsible for getting the pasta made. But I could work with a manufacturer to do that. I'd have control over quality, and the manufacturer would handle most of the logistics. I'd still have to keep tabs on purchase orders, deliveries, spreadsheets, or hire someone to do that. And I could probably still make Sporkful brand Cascatelli with Sfolini at the same time. So I have a big decision to make. Option one, invest huge amounts of time and money into building Sporkful brand pasta. This is the most work and most risk, but it's also the most potential profit. Option two is the other extreme. License the shape to some pasta companies, sit back and earn royalties. Less work, less stress, less money, but also less control over quality. Option three, that's the middle ground, private label. Maintain quality control without having to build a brand or worry about shelf space. I ask Ariel and Kara for their advice. Do you want to be in the factory? <laughs> Not, I mean, like. That's the question. Cause I like, want to be in the factory like once every few months. Sure. Well, to be so like, I hey, I'm here. Look, the machines yeah. are cool to look at. Okay, <laughs> got to go. What would you do now if you were me? 
mean, me, I would license that shit and get it out of my hands. <laughs> but we've had a long couple of weeks. Um, no, I, I think the ideal scenario would be you have your hands on one sector, like one brand where it's like, this is the Sporkful, this is the original Cascatelli. Uh, and then you license it and let people go crazy with it. Yeah, I say let people go crazy with it. Chris, on the other hand, thinks I should maintain more control. He thinks private label is the way to go. Your dream is to make make a shape. You made the shape, okay? You're, you're probably well beyond your expectations of what you thought you were going to achieve with this, okay? Because let's face it, most of us, we have our dreams and they get squashed, okay? Your dream didn't get squashed. You, you watered it, it grew, and now it's grown out of control and you're trying to figure out the best way to, to, to have this thing grow where it doesn't fall over. And I think that that finding a manufacturer to make it for you, finding somebody who wants to sell it in their already set up systems, you know, it, it's, it's just a much better way uh, of doing it. So that's where I'm at. I got to decide how to move forward and start moving. I'm not sure building my own brand is realistic, especially since I don't want to give up this podcast. Chris says getting set up for private label is also a lot of work, but once you have your manufacturer and a couple of deals in place, mostly runs itself. Still, once in a while, it's going to stop running itself. And when a truck gets a flat tire in the middle of Iowa, some big store has their delivery delayed. Do I really want to be the one they call to fix it? Either way, I may not figure this all out for a while. These deals with big stores take months or even years to work out. In the meantime, I have some important news from Spolini, both about when you can expect your pasta and when you might start seeing it in small stores and restaurants. The folks at Spolini continue to crank out Cascatelli as fast as they can. If you ordered in the first 12 hours, you'll have your pasta by the end of April. If you ordered a five-pound bag, you'll have your pasta by mid-May. After that, there's going to be a little delay as we wait for more boxes to come in. Remember that traffic jam in the Suez Canal? You're not going to believe this, but even though our boxes come from within the U.S., that issue led a lot of other companies to shift orders to American paper, which has set us back a bit. We still expect that you'll get your pasta within the time frame originally promised when you placed your order. Please don't message Spolini asking when your pasta will ship. They can't give you an exact answer right now, and time they spend responding to messages is time they don't spend making pasta. They've set up an FAQ page that gives you an estimated shipping date based on your order number. It's at Spolini.com. We'll also put it on our website and in the show notes. Thank you again for your patience and enthusiasm. Now, if all goes as planned, we'll be up to date on orders by early June, at which point we will start offering Cascatelli to restaurants and small markets. Exciting! So please tell your local eateries and shops that you'd like them to carry it. And if you're a chef or owner of one of those places, please ask your distributor to reach out to Sfolini. We will be doing more Mission Impossible update episodes as things progress, but I think it'll be a little while before the next one. In the meantime, please make sure you connect with The Sporkful in your podcasting app so you don't miss those updates or our other future episodes. In Spotify and Stitcher, follow. In Apple Podcasts, subscribe. And please make sure you're following me on Instagram where I'm sharing updates on Cascatelli production. You can see when your box might be going out and check my mom's Cascatelli recipes there. On Instagram, I'm at The Sporkful. Thanks. We'll be off next week, but back in two weeks with a new episode. This show is produced by me, along with senior producer Emma Morgenstern and producer Andre Sohero. Our editor is Tracy Samuelson. Additional editing by Gianna Palmer and Nora Ritchie. This show is mixed by Jared O'Connell. Theme music by Andrea Christensdotter. With additional music help from Black Label Music. 
The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Peter Clowney and Daisy Rosario. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Bobby. And I'm Hope from Melbourne, Australia. Reminding you to eat more. Eat better. And and eat eat more more better. better.